Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is brought to you by Unassigned Reading. Unassigned Reading is a book club podcast hosted by sisters and book lovers Sarah and Rachel Britton. These include serious literary discussions about YA, sci-fi, fantasy, romance, and other genres they read for fun. Pretty much anything you wouldn't usually talk about in English class, from Star Wars novels to tour novellas, which sounds like a great fit for all you listeners out there, um, as well as loads of book recommendations and other bookish topics. So check out Unassigned Reading on your favorite podcatcher. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 58, and we're recording on July 12th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about fiction podcasts. And before we get started on that, I just wanted to let everybody know that there is some construction happening right above my head right now. So (laughs) you might hear some strange noises in the background, hopefully not too much, but I just wanted to let you know. (laughs) The continued sagas of podcasting from home. (laughs) Yes, we were just talking about having tents. Yes. (laughs) So I'm on this crusade to get us all podcasting tents because, you know, fabric muffles sound. So really what we all need are little tents to erect in our living rooms and then record in the tent. Right? Like, doesn't that seem like a beautiful solution? I 100% second that emotion. I (laughs) want a tent and especially the ones uh, you were talking about and linking to. I immediately found there was one that's a shark. And there's another one that's, like, the most beautiful, ethereal, like, fairy circus tent. Yes. (laughs) Because, obviously, utilitarian is not the name of this game. (laughs) I'm requesting either the fairy circus tent or if there's a unicorn tent, I will gladly take that as well. I feel sure that there is a unicorn tent. That's so awesome. Um, I'll work on that. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Appreciate it. (laughs) Well, before we get into our fiction, our news, and then our fiction podcast discussion, let us talk about our other sponsor for today's episode. It is The Lightest Object in the Universe by Kimi Eisel, and I am super intrigued. They are pitching this as Cold Mountain meets Station Eleven, which is an interesting combination of things. It is a debut novel, and Izel imagines what happens after the global economy collapses and the electrical grid goes down, like so many of these near-future ones do. And Carson, our main character, is on a desperate trek from the East Coast to find Beatrix, the woman on the West Coast, who holds his heart. But they don't have any modern means of communication. So can they actually find their way to each other? So this is a story about resilience and adaptation and the power of community and love, obviously. And this is really interesting 
Apparently, lip balm factors into the novel so much that the author worked with a company called Kumba Made to create a limited edition run of, are you ready? Apocalypse Sticks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love it. That's excellent. <laughs> um, so, yes. And Izel, the author, is sounds like a super interesting person. She is a writer and multidisciplinary artist, including both dance and image making. Her master's degree is in geography. And she was a middle school geography teacher and also lived in Ecuador for a while. Like, that's your, this is clearly an interesting person. So I'm very curious about this debut. It's also a top pick for summer reading, chosen by independent booksellers for Indies Introduce and by Barnes & Noble for its Discover series. So if that sounds as intriguing to you as it does to me, you'll want to check it out. Again, that is The Lightest Object in the Universe by Kimi Eisel. I want to know everything about this person and this book now. I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I guess I will kick us off with the first news story. And I'm pretty sure I heard the happy screams of every goth out there when this news (laughs) came up (laughs) that Neil Gaiman's The Sandman has been greenlit by Netflix. Um, And this is really huge news because there have been some attempts to film this. And I think it's mentioned somewhere in this article we're going to be linking to that it was deemed um, unfilmable. Which is by various people, yeah. Yeah. And it is a huge, it's a big series. The series ran for 75 issues. Um, and there was an attempt by Joseph Gordon-Levitt to direct a film adaptation way back when, um, not that way back when, 2016. And he ended up leaving the project because of creative differences with New Line, uh, which at the time got the film right. So this is going to be a huge thing. There are going to be 11 episodes uh, that have been ordered by Netflix right away. And it's being described as a rich blend of modern myth and dark fantasy in which contemporary fiction, historical drama, and legend are seamlessly interwoven. It's been a very long time since I read this book. I read it when I was at my peak goth in early college, I believe, and the book came out, or the first, I think the first volume maybe came out in the late 90s, I want to say. Yeah, so it's been around for a while. Gaiman is going to be involved in this, for those of you who are worried about that. He's actually writing the first episode, also with uh, showrunner Alan Heinberg and David Goyer. And, of course... Neil Gaiman was just working on Good Omens. Like, he's been very busy lately. And this first series is only going to cover Preludes and Nocturnes. Uh, Those are the first eight comics in the Sandman series. Um, And as far as his involvement, other than writing that first episode, it sounds like he's going to be pretty involved, maybe not as involved as he was with uh, Good Omens, and a little bit more involved than he was with American Gods. It sort of seems like he's going to be in between there somewhere, but they didn't explicitly state exactly what he's going to be doing um, other than writing the first episode. But it sounds like it's interesting. He obviously has a, he's going to have his hands all over this project in some way. And I feel like I have to catch up on the series. I definitely did not read all 75. Um, so 
I think I actually have Preludes and Nocturnes on my shelf, but I'm definitely going to check. Is this something you're interested in, Jen? It is. I I was not a dedicated Sandman reader, but I remember a friend shoving a collection at me and saying, you have to read this. Mm. And I remember really enjoying the ones that I did read. Whichever collection that was, I, I think it was the Smoke and Mirrors collection is my best guess. The... The wow moment for me in this article is where it says that this news comes 30 years after Gaiman published the first comic in the series. Incredible. It has been 30 years. That's bananas. (laughs) Like, that makes me feel both really old and really young at the same time. Like, I'm only five years, six years (laughs) older than this comic. What? And, And I think it's interesting that he's said explicitly that they're setting it in the modern day rather than in the time period, rather than 30 years ago, which is when the comic is originally set, right? Because the world is very different. And it works because, you know, the plot is that Morpheus wakes up from 70 years of captivity. So it's easy enough to just change the world that he wakes up to. But I'm very curious to see what world they think that is and what that looks like. I will be very interested in seeing the casting for this. I'm super interested in finding out what the casting looks like. So, yeah. Um, and for those of you who haven't read this, at least in Preludes and Nocturnes, I should say that the story is um, about a character called Dream who's captured by an occultist by accident and is imprisoned for 70 years. And then when Dream escapes, Dream is also known as Morpheus. He goes on this quest for his lost objects of power, meets Lucifer and John Constantine along the way. So yeah, the cast is going to be very interesting. I totally agree with that. And I I can't wait until they actually come out. They're going to be releasing news about it, I'm sure, over time, um, hopefully soon, so we can see what that's going to look like. Speaking of of dating ourselves, do you remember Hot Topic's line of Sandman shirts? Like, they had all those death <gasps> t-shirts and journals yes! and things. I, I was like, about that. It's oh, so yeah. Long. I was like, oh, well, now Hot Topic will have to, like, do a reboot of that line. Like, they are definitely already in meetings about I'm so it. sure. I'm so yeah. sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I do feel like we're, like, it's, like, flash forward right now. It's yeah. very nostalgic <laughs> feeling in the room. <laughs> oh. All right. Um, so I want to talk about the Locus Award winners. Yes. Who were announced, uh, let's see, at the end of June. And somehow we have not had a show since then. So this is oh this is our moment to talk about it. I am so excited for a lot of the winners. I just wanted to highlight a few of them. You can catch all of them at the post that I'll link to in the show notes. Uh, the Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Cowell won for science fiction. That's one of the ones I haven't read but clearly need to get to. Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik, one for fantasy novel, which we have, yes, talked about a bunch. Let's see. What else? Oh, former writer Justina Ireland uh, won for young adult novel, Dread Nation. Congratulations Mm -hmm. go to her. 
And I was so delighted to see that the best collection went to How Long Till Black Future Month by N.K. Jemisin, which I don't think is really a surprise to anybody, but it was a very good slate. All of these categories had amazing books on them. So I'm excited to see her continue to get awards just like right and left. Get them all. I know. She's incredible. She is. She is. So it's a really good list. Oh, and also the short story winner was The Secret Lives of the Nine Negro Teeth of George Washington by Fenderson Jelly Clark, who also publishes under P. Jelly Clark, who we have talked about a bunch and who just announced some new book news recently. So I'm super jazzed about all of that. All of it. Just all of it. Yeah, this list is amazing. I'm sure it's so difficult sometimes to choose between these, like to even choose like the ones I want to win because there's been so much, there's been so much good science fiction and fantasy coming out recently that I would not even want to have anything to do with putting these lists together for nomination. (laughs) Like it's so difficult, but there are so many amazing writers on this list. And again, like we always say, it's a great way, um, to catch up on your reading and figure out some really great reads that maybe slid under your radar just looking at some of these lists because these are there are a lot of strong contenders here. I also thought it was interesting and kind of cool that in these like smaller categories that we don't generally pay as much attention to, or at least maybe I don't, um, but under like art book, for instance, and nonfiction, there are two Ursula Le Guin books, two different Ursula Le Guin books that won. Mm-hmm. Um, that was interesting. Under nonfiction, it was Ursula K. Le Guin, Conversations on Writing. Um, and under art book, it was Charles Vest, The Books of Earthsea, the complete illustrated edition. Can which... I just say that I own that and it is you do? stunning. Oh, yes. I remember when it got announced, I pre-ordered it through my local bookstore and they were like do you mean this giant expensive and I was like yes I do that is exactly what I mean I need it and it came into my greedy waiting hands and is in pride of place on my bookshelf it's stunning and it's really nice because Vess has done a bunch of interviews because she died you know very recently and he's done a bunch of interviews about what it was like to work with her on it and like you know her commentary being like more goats you know like things like that but also they took a lot of pains to actually represent the racial makeup of Earthsea in a way that often has been dismissed or forgotten in other adaptations like the the main characters are brown they are so it's 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 there on the page it's it's beautiful it's beautiful I'm really happy to hear that because, yeah, I feel like there definitely needs to be some makeups for the classic, some of those classic edition covers of that book that were infuriating. So whitewashed. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. But I might, I am afraid to look at the price tag on that book, but I might check it out. <laughs> it wasn't cheap, but it wasn't like, you know, dipping into your retirement savings. Okay. <laughs> Okay, that's good. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. So, yeah, you should definitely look at this list. Um, It's so fantastic. Okay.
Okay, um, I was literally just promising myself I was not going to talk about Harry Potter news <laughs> like after our last episode because I literally said, oh my goodness, I'm so done with the Harry Potter stuff. And then, of course, news that I could not ignore came up. So I have to talk about Harry Potter again. Sorry, everybody. Um, but there's a prequel series coming to television, which is something I 100% did not expect. Especially with this news coming so soon, like, it feels like there's there have been so many, like, you know, the spinoff movies like Fantastic Beasts and things. Um, so, I mean, I guess they're just going full steam. So we don't know that much yet about this actual series, uh, but Warner Brothers got it. Uh, I'm sure there was there was a huge bidding war over this. I wonder what Warner Brothers because they've done all of the things. I wonder if they have like an ironclad contract. Oh, you're for right. That stuff. That's probably true. That is probably it's probably written into their contract, which yeah. is like that's that's probably a good thing to have. Just they own everything. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so we do know that the series is going to occur mostly at Hogwarts and then in parts of Europe. And it features a whole new cast of characters. So you're not going to be seeing, you know, Harry and Hermione and and Ron and all of them. Um, Or the Marauders or anything, which I know some people were guessing might happen. Yeah, which would have been a fun idea. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they need to do like a whole bunch of series, but (laughs) that would have been fun. Um, So, yeah, there's so much going on. There is not that much we can tell about what this is going to be other than that. I know there have been some expressions of like, you know, like, oh, it would have been interesting if this had, if the series had taken place in other wizarding schools that weren't necessarily in Europe, but maybe explored other parts of the world. Um, So like the Sandman news, I'm really curious to see what the casting is going to be like and what some of these different settings are going to be, like how they're going to be represented. Um, I'm hoping to see some diversity, obviously. No joke. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, the Harry Potter franchise has had some issues with that. So I'm hoping that they're keeping some criticisms in mind from previous projects around the Harry Potter franchise and that they'll be mindful as they make this prequel series. We can all hope. We can. (laughs) So very short news about that. We'll see what happens with it. Also shorter than you might think, given all of the hype, (laughs) is the latest George R. R. Martin news, of which there is also a never-ending string of. There have been new facts revealed about the Game of Thrones prequel show that we've been hearing a little bit about. Um, We've had some casting news. I know we've talked before about how Naomi Watts is in it as a lead character alongside Naomi Aki and Denise Guff. Um, But now George R. R. Martin has given us, quote-unquote, five facts about the prequel. (laughs) They are very small facts, for the record. Uh, Apparently, Westeros is divided into around 100 kingdoms in this prequel. So there's not, you know, there's way more than seven at this point. And I just have to say that EW is the outlet that broke this. And they really missed a golden opportunity. They said Wild West Westeros. And I was like, mm-hmm. 
friends. You didn't need that West. Like, Wild West Eros is already there. I had the exact same thought. I'm glad we're on the same page. I was just like, anyway, that's just my, you know, whatever. Yes. Uh, okay, fact number two. There will be Starks and Direwolves, which is not really a surprise, I guess, because... As we all know, the Starks were descended from the first men. JK, I didn't know that. I forgot that anyway. Um, but it's true. And so they will be there. And there are also apparently mammoths. That could be interesting. And there are not any Lannisters, potentially. But there are the Casterly family that Casterly Lock is... Casterly Rock is named for will be part of it. And I believe Naomi Watts is playing one of those would be my best guess. And it is an ensemble. Uh, They are really stressing that it is an ensemble series. There isn't a single lead actress or actor. So much like the most recently finished show. And it is still untitled. And there's like some babblings about what title it is. It's, I just, that's not a fact for the record. Also, this is not a fact. I have so many, I have so many criticisms of the way this article was written. It's just ridiculous. I apologize for my pettiness. Anyway, that is the most up to date Game of Thrones news. The link will be in the show notes for your own critiquing pleasure. <laughs> Take a good look at the grammar and everything yes, used yes, in no. this article. Um, EW, I'm sorry. Anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know, Sharifa, like, I feel like this is a nothing burger. Like, this doesn't tell me anything that makes me feel more strongly one way or another about the show. Do you have similar different feelings? Yeah. I mean, I'm still, I feel like it's, it's, kind of a hard situation for Game of Thrones fans in general because we're still suffering from some disappointment about mm. the way the actual show ended. So mm. it's for me at least, it's very hard for me to generate any internal excitement about these things just because I'm like... Well, that didn't end that great, so... <laughs> yeah, how great is this going to be? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. But, um... I don't know. I'm I'm mildly curious. I feel I didn't feel like I got that much out of this uh release of the so-called five facts um <laughs> either. So, yeah, I agree with that and I thought it was kind of funny and a little bit of a wink wink nudge nudge that at the end they mentioned that Right now, Mart like George R. R. Martin has mentioned that he's currently only writing one thing: the Sixth Ice and Fire novel, <laughs> The Winds of Winter. It's like you have to like predict that that is a thing everybody's thinking about when they read these news stories. So it's probably like the default to put it in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um, I'm. I am curious about how many. Game of Thrones fans are actually excited about this prequel series um, just because of the way things have been going lately. But I mean, I'm curious. I at least have some mild curiosity about it. And maybe by the time it comes out, I'll be over all of the other stuff and I won't (laughs) feel fatigue about it. There will be plenty of time. Yes. Theoretically for us to get over that. So yeah, we'll, we'll see, I guess. We will. So ends our news. Yes. And now we get to talk about some fiction podcasts. 
I I struggled with what to call these. Like, are they audio dramas? Are they fiction podcasts? Are they narrative pod? Like, I don't even know. So I, I saw millions of different ways to word it, so I have no idea either. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, th- that was my one takeaway was that I'm not the only one who doesn't know what to call them. Yeah. <laughs> so, but what we mean by this topic are fiction, like. Narrati- narrated fiction set in science fiction or fantasy worlds that yeah. are podcasts, episodes of podcasts. That's what we mean. Yeah. So they could be like longer series. They could be, you know, episodic short stories. There right. are all sorts of like, it was really interesting to see how many ways different um, creators and producers made these fiction podcasts, audio dramas, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And it was also an interesting experience for me because I sort of memorably don't do much in audio. I have a very hard time focusing for any amount of time past 20 minutes to things I'm only hearing. And so, you know, even a podcast of the length of this one, whoops, uh, would be hard for me to focus on if I was trying to do anything else. And so I was a little nervous about this, but I found a ton that were 20 minutes or less, which was really delightful and exciting for me. And also I realized that these that I've picked and that I reviewed sort of in the process of picking are the only audio dramas I've ever listened to with the exception of Night Vale, which I listened to back in, I want to say like 2015, 2016 ish. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm not, it's just a, it's just a, sort of area that I have not explored until we decided to do this show. So that was super cool and interesting. Was this, or are these already sort of part of your listening diet or no? I thought this was, I used to listen. One of the shows I'm going to talk about is one that I used to listen to a lot, like think every commute. Um, And then that was way back when, before I really started exploring audiobooks again. Mm. Um, And then audiobooks ended up taking over my commuting experience. Um, And sometimes I would go back to these when I just wanted something really short. But I have not thought about audio dramas or fiction podcasts in a really long time. So it felt like I was coming to it new again. Yeah, that's cool. I'm so glad. Yeah, it's nice to have themes where we discover new things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so I, I'll go first. My okay. sci-fi pick is Mission to Zix, which is Z-Y-X-X, which is an improv space comedy. Interesting. Which is fascinating to me. And it's created and performed by improvisers who met during the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City, which if you are a fan of improv, you have probably heard of. And I found out about this podcast because I was at PodX, a convention recently, and Mujan Zulvigari, who is involved in this one, was there on a panel. And I was like, oh, I'm very interested in hearing more about this. And it's bananas to me that each of these episodes are fully improvised and then they do editing and sound design 
And I have to say the sound design is stunning. They sound so good. Oh my gosh, it's it's really, really good. And I found them incredibly enjoyable. It's very, you know, in that Douglas Adams, Terry Pratchett, or like Princess Bride in Space oh. sort of wheelhouse. I love um, that. But with more like gender exploration and sexual fl fluidity, it's really, it's really interesting. And I started at the beginning. It's been going on for quite some time and I certainly have not caught up yet. I mean, this podcast has been going for years and is regularly producing new episodes. There is a lot of back matter, but it's really enjoyable. So there is the quote unquote ambassador whose name is Plek Dexeter in very like Douglas Adams, the Terry Pratchett style. And he was a farm boy who is now, you know, like this is his first job and he has absolutely no idea what he's doing. So he's constantly messing things up. And there's a protocol droid, of course, who is very wry and sarcastic and amazing. A little bit of murder bot, I think, uh, going on there. And then there's a security officer and the ship is a character, which is super fun. And who is like a, she's got like one of those like smoker, like aging smoker voices and sounds like a Hollywood <laughs> jade. Like she's very, very funny. That is the character that's played by Mujan Zulvagari. And, um, and there's like all of these other characters that come in and out and they're regular guests. They have different comedians guest on each and every episode. And it's just so much fun. Um, if you go back to the beginning, which I did, the first episode is sort of, you know, Ambassador Pleck, like meeting the ship's crew and trying to figure out like what exactly his job is going to be. And I, just from the get go, they hooked me. So, and I don't do, I don't watch or listen to a ton of improv. So I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about this, but I just, it's very enjoyable, y'all. Very, very enjoyable. So again, that is Mission to Zix. I really cannot imagine. I feel like I would be so nervous if I was going into an improv setting for <laughs> a fiction. Like, how does that even work? It's baffling to me. It's it gives me hives just thinking about it. <laughs> the pressure. No, same. I am not. And I know people who do improv. I, I mean, my significant other teaches improv. And like, I understand <laughs> that there's like techniques and stuff around this. Like I understand in theory, but in practice, yeah, I cannot imagine <sighs> oh, wow. trying to do something like this, but they pull it off. They really pull it off. It sounds up my alley. I'm going to check that one out. I think you, I think you would really enjoy it. I oh, think you Wait. Now that I'm back on this jag. <laughs> um, okay, so my science fiction pick is a paranormal Afrofuturist sci-fi uh satire. And it's in the vein of Night Vale because it happens to be presented by Night Vale. And I never I have not listened to Night Vale. I am like one oh, of the Yeah, I have not. Oh. So this is actually my first foray into Night Vale, which may be not the dumb thing, but I just saw this and it sounded really interesting. So it's uh Adventures in New America is the name of the show. 
And I will say this is probably not one to listen to with the kids in the car, <laughs> depending on the kids in question, of course. Um, but this is a scripted series that confronts things like systemic racism in America. And it is a buddy comedy, but there are some uncomfortable moments for sure, like even in the pilot episode. So, you know, content warning for racist language and violence. It just jumps right into that from the jump. Um, so the story actually follows the capers of I.A. and Simon, who are two very different people living in a, an America that it's both familiar and alien. So New America is this future America with the problems of systemic racism, healthcare, and political issues that, you know, we hear about in the news all the time today in America. So um, when IA finds out he has cancer and he doesn't have the coverage for treatment, he becomes really desperate. And on his desperate mission, he runs into this character, Simon, who's a petty thief. And IA is sort of written as this kind of everyman who goes through the motions of life and he's kind of curmudgeonly and he seems to live in a constant state of like mediocrity. But then Simon is this daring character who's really loud and abrasive and opinionated and also coercive enough to convince IA to help her go on heists as this sort of solution to IA's medical bills. So the episodes are really as quirky as you would expect from a Night Vale production. There are things like weird commercials about poke bowls and money-making schemes that are like reminiscent of those daytime cash for gold commercials you used to see <laughs> on TV. Those happen a lot. And then there are all sorts of like narrative detours that I found that I found kind of interesting and kind of kept my attention as well. And there was one in particular, there was a scene where uh, this cabbie is recalling a passenger's conversation, and it literally made me laugh out loud. It was just so absurd. And the whole thing is like that. So then there are the, the paranormal aspect of this. There are tetchy terrorist vampire zombies in New America. And you meet some of them in the pilot episode where they attack someone. And, you know, they make all sorts of, like, really gross racist remarks about their victim when they approach um, which made the whole scene, like, extra awful. But the vampire zombies are depicted as these insecure bigots, not unlike somebody you might casual, like see casually dropping things like racism and microaggressions on Facebook and thinking everyone else is being too sensitive, like that type of person. Um, and the show's been compared to Jordan Peele's film, so think Get Out and Us. And I think that's an accurate comparison. It's pretty explicit, pretty brutally so, in its commentary um, in a similar way as Peele's films. And the two characters are black. I is biracial, Simon is queer and black. And there are actually quite a few queer side characters as well. And the show is actually written by a filmmaker, and writer uh, named Stephen Winter, as well as Tristan Cowan. And it's it's described as inspired by, I just found this so strange but fitting, it's inspired by the celestial teachings of Sun Ra, Sanford and Son, the poetic fiction of Octavia Butler, which is always like something that pings my radar, and the underground comics 
Cerebus the Aardvark. So it is as out there as it sounds. All of it is just bonkers. So if you like caper stories where opposites are thrown together and stories that are very heavily sociopolitical commentary, or if you like Night Vale and the format of that show, you should give Adventures in New America a listen. That sounds very Victor Laval also. Is that yes. a fair comparison? Yes, that's a fair comparison. It's a little bit wonkier and more um, comic than mm. Victor Laval, but I would say like the commentary part of it is very Victor Laval. And some nice. of the writing too, some of like the dialogue and stuff. That's a good call actually. Interesting, interesting. You mentioned commercials, and that reminded me of a thing I wanted to say about Mission to Zix that I forgot to say. So they do have commercials. And, you know, as somebody who podcasts, I was so curious about how you would in weave those into like a narrative especially an improv comedy podcast but the way they do it is they are like for example like you'll get a a mod cloth ad that's a message from the resistance rebel base (laughs) and it's so funny the way they do it there's like oh yes like the first thing you'll notice when you land on the rebel base is how well attired we are it's thanks to (laughs) mod cloth like it's that kind of ad so they fictionalize their ad reads which i think is just genius it's really really smart and i have never i mean I understand the impulse to skip ads, but I found myself so entertained by the way that they did them. I was like, this is genius. Like, this is just podcasting genius. So I would I would like to tip my podcaster slash producer <laughs> hat to them for that one. Okay. So my fantasy pick is Kalila Stormfire's Economical Magic Services, which is just the best title ever. And I wish I could remember exactly how I found this. I think I was just down an internet rabbit hole search for, you know, fantasy podcasts and stumbled across it. And I am so glad that I did because it is an urban fantasy that reminds me in various ways of, you know, the Kate Daniels series or the Jim Butcher, Dresden Files or Buffy, but like with persons of color and witchier, which Mm. is just my jam, right? Like it's my jam. So it is a... Audio drama is what uh, it's called by the producer about a witch who is like for hire, available for hire. And she is, especially in the first, you know, pilot episodes, which I went back. So in this one, I went back and I listened to um, a bunch of stuff from the first season and then one or two episodes from the most recent season because I was curious about how the story had developed. And I was I was I was like, well, I'm going to review it. So that 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 means I can jump ahead. Right. Like, I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit. Um, And so in the first season, she's really struggling to get her business up and running because, like, who's going to hire a random witch, right? Like, she needs to find – she's working out of her basement studio apartment. She's had a fallout with the coven, you know, and she's just trying to find – clients. And over the course of the first season, she discovers that somebody is like bad-mouthing her and dissuading people from hiring her. And so she has to figure out what that's about. 
And it's set in a fictional city where there are lots of different magical things like changelings and werewolves and curses and goddesses and astral projection and all of that. But also it is a very real neighborhood in that it's like, you know, sort of a rundown neighborhood and most of her clients live in and around her neighborhood. It's a working class community and they're experiencing problems of poverty and racism and healthcare. And, you know, some of them are queer and dealing with that. And there's all kinds of different, there is social commentary in this baked into it because of the setting, which I really love loved because it makes it feel so real like dealing with these mundane issues like healthcare, but also you know it's a magical setting it's so interesting i just love when people do that i love it and lizette alvarez who is the creator is also the voice of kalila and i think it's I think it's really great the way that the story is developing, and I'm super impressed with their both voice acting and the production on this. It's The sound design, again, is fantastic. I love all the atmospheric touches. I love the intro-outro music, and it just feels so well done. There's really nice world building in here. And Lizette Alvarez, the producer slash creator slash et cetera, is a queer Latinx creator, so it really, I love to see that uh, influence coming through in this magical world. It just like it just ticks so many interesting boxes, um, and and yeah, they there are different cast members who start to show up more as the series unfolds. And I can't wait to get back into it so I can like connect the dots between the early episodes I listened to and then the developments that I heard at the start of season three, which I really should not have done, but I did anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so if you like urban fantasy, if you like queer and uh, Latinx stories in particular, but also stories that deal with lots of people of color and working class communities and then inject like a bunch of magic into it, I think this is definitely something you're going to want to listen to. So again, that is Kalila Stormfire's Economical Magic Services. You found some really good ones. I did. <laughs> I mean, it just, it. I, I'm excited to have some to listen to regularly. And also it makes me want to listen to so many more, but I know myself, it's like TV shows, right? You're like, I need to finish one before I can start another one. Oh, the struggle. <laughs> the so struggle real. is so real. <laughs> <laughs> well, my... Fantasy pick is not exclusively fantasy. It's generally speculative fiction. And this is the oldie. This is the Drabble cast, which is the one. Um, the it's This one is called, described as an audio fiction podcast. And it's an audio fiction magazine style podcast. So um, I used to listen to this years ago before I, you know, audiobooks took over my life. But these include speculative fiction stories, including science fiction, fantasy, and horror. So I feel like this is really great if you're not quite ready to commit to a long series or you need, just need something short for the commute that you could probably finish in the span of a commute, depending on how long your commute is. Mine was very long, so I <laughs> uh, take that in mind. But, you know, that was the reason I started listening to the Drabblecast. I kind of wanted to mix it up a little. Um, back then, I think I was, like, listening to the radio, which sounds absurd now. <laughs> um, but it also helped me discover some new speculative writers that I ended up really liking. And they read quite a bit of fiction from authors you would probably recognize. For instance, their most recent episode featured the story Go Between by China Mieville. Oh, and, hey. Yeah, I know, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that was read by NPR's uh, Chioke Ayansen. 
And the main host and the person behind the Drabblecast is Norm Sherman, who is really hilarious and the perfect MC for the show. And every show, just like yours, so polished and so professional from, you know, their background music choices to their choices of narrators. Um, I'm pretty sure I heard some full cast episodes in the past, at least, with numerous narrators as well. And some more recent authors featured include Mer Lafferty, Eden Royce, who wrote Witches for Mars, <laughs> which I've bookmarked to listen to just for the name alone, yes. and also Kids Johnson. So people you will probably be familiar with. And then also some new voices are in there. Um, and I think I mentioned this show briefly when you, Jen, were talking about Karen Tidbeck's short story collection, oh, yeah. Jagannath. Yeah, this is where I first heard that short story, the titular short story, Jagannath. It was right on the Drabblecast, and I was completely amazed. Um, and if you're a writer yourself, the Drabblecast actually accepts submissions, and, you know, they pay fiction market prices for it. And that's how you can hear some newer voices. So they are actually open to... You know, not just making seasoned veteran writers into audio fiction, but also newcomers, which I think is really great. Um, and full disclosure, I have drab published a Drabble on the Drabblecast, but it's literally 100 words. And I submitted it way back when, when I was just like lurking the site's forum. I was just a fan. And there was, there's actually a thread in their forums, which is another great element if you're looking for, like, community elements to these uh, podcasts. There's a thread where you could post your Drabble in response to a prompt, and they'd sometimes choose one from the mix for their their themed podcast, which is so cool. Um, and I checked this morning, and it does look like the forums are still around and active if you're looking for that sort of sense of community. So, yeah, if you like your speculative fiction and bursts and you enjoy science fiction and fantasy magazines, I think you should check out the Drabblecast. And I also wanted to give a shout out to Podcastle. If you're looking for something specifically fantasy, um, Podcastle is very much like the Drabblecast in that it's kind of um, an audio fiction magazine, but it focuses specifically on fantasy. And it's also edited by Jen R. Albert, uh, Sheree Clark, and it's hosted by Setsu Uzumi, who also serves as assistant editor. And I just thought they do such a great job of featuring stories written by a diverse lineup of writers. They also publish the stories on their site, so you can read them as well as listen to them. And all of the episodes come with a rating in case you do have kids in the car or you want to avoid certain types of content. Um, and I just remember them from back when I listened to the Drabblecast. I didn't like, I was already at the end of my listening to audio fiction, um, so I didn't get to invest as much time in the podcastle as I probably should have. Now that I actually have looked back and seen what they do, it's amazing. Um, I immediately subscribed after visiting their page the other day when I was specifically looking for podcasts that aren't run by cis white men. Um, Podcastle <laughs> is it fits that bill. <laughs> yeah. It's harder than you think. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's difficult. It's difficult. So I was so jazzed when I saw Podcastle and really investigated it. 
and they have 582 episodes, which wow. blows my mind. So I don't think you're going to run out of listening materials if you, like me, turn into a new fan. So <laughs> again, that was Podcastle. I want to give them props for that name. That's great. It's so good. And they're the um, cover art they use or whatever they call it, the podcast art is so, it's so excellent. It's nice. so fun. Um, yeah. And that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you find some incredible audio fiction or audio drama, whatever you want to call it, series to listen to. Um, as usual, you can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please do help us out by reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find us. Um, and you can find us online as well. I'm on Instagram at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. How about you, Jen? I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, I-R-L. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. Thanks so much for listening and happy reading. Happy reading.